Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Stories That Made Us, where in the first series we take a look at the creation myths of civilizations, cultures, and tribes from around the world. This week we recount the tale of origin of the ancient Greeks. The ancient Greeks lived in many lands around the Mediterranean Sea, from Turkey to the south of France. They had close contacts with other peoples such as the Egyptians, Syrians, and Persians. The Greeks lived in separate city-states but shared the same language and religious beliefs. The Greek culture and civilization can be dated back to the Bronze Age. That's around 3200 to 1100 BC. In this period, a number of cultures flourished in Crete and on Greek mainland. They were mainly farmers, but trade across the sea, particularly in raw materials such as obsidian and metals was growing. Mycenaean culture flourished on the Greek mainland in the late Bronze Age, from about 1600 to 1100 BCE. The name comes from the site of Mycenae. where the culture was first recognized the mycenian period of the later greek bronze age was viewed by the greeks as the age of heroes and perhaps provides the historical background to many of the stories told in later greek mythology including homer's epics the collapse of mycenian civilization around 1100 bc brought about a period of isolation known as the dark age but by around 800 BC the revival had begun as trade with wider world increased arts crafts and writings reemerged and city states of polis were developed it was around this time that hesiod wrote the poem theogony the genealogy of the birth of gods Hesiod's Theogony was a large-scale synthesis of a vast variety of local Greek traditions concerning the gods, organized as a narrative that told how they came to be and how they established permanent control over the cosmos. It was the first known Greek mythical cosmology. Our tale today is the very same that was propounded by Hesiod. over 2800 years ago in the beginning there was nothing but a formless and shapeless mass this was called chaos and it manifested in darkness it was all there was in the whole expanse of the universe from chaos came the primordial deities first was gaia the earth Second was Tartarus, the underworld, and third, Eros, love. Then came Erebus, the shadow, and Nyx, the night. Without a mate, Gaia birthed Uranus, the sky, Orea, the mountains, and Pontus, the sea. It was Uranus who was bestowed a status that was equal to herself by Gaia. and they joined in matrimony uranus thus became the ruler and lord of the world and so 
the two of them began the arduous task of creation. Meanwhile, Erebus and Nex also married, and their union produced Ether, the heir of the immortals, Hemera, the dead, Hypnos, sleep, Moirai, the fate of Fates, Jerus, old age, and Thanatos, death. Gaia and Uranus too were blessed with eighteen children. The first three were giants, mighty and powerful. With a hundred hands and fifty heads, they personified brute strength, although they were bereft of intellectual acumen. It was said that they could produce earthquakes so powerful that it could shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Then they birthed the three Cyclops, each with one eye on the center of his forehead. Cyclops were expert craftsmen and master masons. Uranus looked at his children and was displeased. He both abhorred and feared the power of the giants and the craft of the Cyclops. He was worried that his children, with their great strength, might usurp him as the ruler of the world. And so, he hurled the giants and the Cyclops into the depths of Tartarus, the dark and dreary underworld. He chained and tormented his own children, imprisoning them for all eternity in the dungeons of the immortals. Uranus's paranoia both enraged and upset Gaia whose heart bled at the sight of her imprisoned children. Wrongfully were they tormented by their father, cruelly banished to suffer forever in the underworld. She sought to make her husband understand the folly of his ways, but Uranus was unmoved. Thus, Gaia buried her feelings deep in her heart and bided her time. Uranus and Gaia then birthed the twelve titans, six females and six males. When they came of age, Gaia summoned them all and told them of their brothers, the giants and cyclops, who were banished to Tartarus. She sought revenge against Uranus and urged the titans to answer her call. None, however, could muster the courage to face their father. None, apart from Kronos, who raised a rallying cry and took it upon himself to avenge his mother and brothers. Gaia was overjoyed in her champion. She drew a great flint sickle and offered it to Kronos. The two then drew up a plan to overthrow Uranus. It was one night, when Uranus and Gaia slept on the shore by the sea, that Kronos sneaked in and emasculated his father with the sickle, throwing the god's genitalia in the sea. Your rule is over, he yelled. My power is greater than yours, and I shall be the rightful lord of the world. 
Uranus, being immortal, would not die, but he did scream in agony. He bled into the sea, and when his blood mixed with the sea water, there were created three black-clothed furies, the goddesses of vengeance. His blood also birthed another group of terrible creatures, also called giants. They had hairy hands, and the heads and faces like dragons. Not all was monstrous that emerged from Uranus, however, for from his testicles birthed Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. But that was later. And so it was that Cronus usurped the throne from his father. He was now the supreme being, invested with power over all creation. He assigned to his brothers offices of distinction, but repaid their loyalty with treachery once they were useless to his cause. He made war against his brothers and all who would not bend to his will. He was a megalomaniacal tyrant whose sole concern was amassing more power. Gaia could only watch in horror as her son Kronos not only broke the promise made to her of freeing his brothers, but instead added more of his own brothers to the dungeons of Tartarus. She thus sought the Fates and asked them for the fate of her son. She asked for reprieve from her own son. Misplaced was your faith in your son, the Fates said, for he is a bigger tyrant than your husband. But evil breeds evil, and your son shall be punished for his treachery. Take heart, O goddess, that your son shall be bested by a child of his own. That is his destiny. That is his fate. Emboldened by the proclamation of the Fates, Gaia, in her bitterness, would taunt Cronus of his fateful end. Thus, when Cronus's wife, Rhea, would birth their children, the fearful and vengeful Titan would straightaway swallow the poor infant, preventing any challenge from his offsprings. And so, Rhea lost her children to Cronus. She lost her beautiful daughters, Hestia, Demeter, and Hera, and strong sons, Hades and Poseidon. By this time, Rhea's heart, just like Gaia's, was burning with grief and rage. The next time she was pregnant, she sought out the mother goddess for help, for they both empathized with each other's great sorrow. Eventually, they devised a plan. When the time of your child's birth is nigh, Gaia told Rhea, go to the island of Crete and take refuge in the deep hidden cave, high upon the slope of Mount Dicti. I shall command the nymphs to be midwives for your babe's birth. I will hang your infant's cradle from a tree so that Kronos would not find him on land, in sea, or indeed in heaven. 
you would then deploy the curieties, the dancers, who would make so much noise that the baby's sound shall never reach Cronus's ears. Should my hateful son come seeking his offspring, place a rock wrapped in a cloak and offer it to him. In his paranoia, he would not know better. And so, the time came for Rhea to birth her sixth son. As advised, she hid herself in greed for the delivery, and when Kronos came looking for the newborn, she offered him a rock wrapped in towel. Without suspecting foul play, Cronus took the rock and swallowed it, satisfied once again that he had cheated the prophecy dealt by the Fates. Now under the watchful eyes of Gaia, the infant grew to be a powerful and menacing god. He was called Zeus, and he possessed great physical prowess combined with exceptional wisdom and intelligence. When he came of age, he was apprised of his destiny as the leader of the rebellion against his father. He was told of his siblings, all of whom were swallowed by Cronus. Determined to right the wrong and end the injustice, Zeus began formulating a plan to rescue his brothers and sisters. Eventually, the time came to act upon the prophecy. Zeus convinced Metis the titan goddess of prudence and wisdom to concoct a potion that would make Cronus regurgitate his brothers and sisters. When equipped with the potion, Zeus disguised himself as an attendant to Cronus's court, presenting the titan overlord with a cup of wine when ordered. Cronus, having drunk the wine, felt an excruciating pain in his stomach he first regurgitated the rock, one that was disguised as the infant Zeus. The titan then went on to vomit out Poseidon, Hades, Hera, Demeter and Hestia, all of whom had grown up inside Cronus. Overjoyed at the sight of her children, Rhea stood and stepped forward. Pointing at her husband, she said, your destiny is upon you, Cronus. The prophecy has come to pass. Zeus, your son, now stands before you. And he, having liberated his brothers and sisters, will now free you of the reign of the world. Your time is at an end, and it is best that you abdicate peacefully. Your mind is adult, and you are unfit to rule. Enraged, Cronus refused to abdicate, screaming, If this stranger, this charlatan who claims to be my son, thinks that he is going to take my kingdom, then let him come and fight me for the throne. I refuse to give up what is rightfully mine. And so it came to pass that Zeus and his brothers and sisters would wage a devastating war against Cronus and his allies. Zeus and his siblings, and the titans Themis and Prometheus, two who were wronged by Cronus, 
made a stand in Mount Olympus, while the Titans, led by Cronus and Atlas, fought from Mount Othrys as their stronghold. The struggle was long and fierce, the battles raging for over ten years. None, however, were close to a victory. Zeus, in his wisdom, sought counsel from Gaia, who promptly reminded him of her lost children, the giants and the cyclops, who were imprisoned in Tartarus. Free them and tilt the war in your favor, she said. Hearkening the advice of his grandmother, Zeus and his brothers made for Tartarus. They overpowered the gods and rescued their uncles. After having removed the chains and fed them, Zeus asked for help against Cronus in return for freedom. The giants readily agreed to lend their strength to the Olympian gods. The Cyclops too allied with the Olympians. They used their craftsmanship and presented Zeus with the gift of lightning and thunder. To Poseidon, they gifted the great trident, and to Hades, the helmet of invisibility. Thus armed with allies and formidable weapons, Zeus and his reinforcements returned to Mount Olympus and resumed the war. With the superior strength of the giants, the Olympian gods besieged Mount Othrys. The giants broke cliffs off of the mountain and hurled them at the titans, who in turn responded with arrows and spears. And so the war continued, causing great upheaval upon the world. The mountains shook while the lands cracked. The tumultuous seas birthed waves as tall as the hills and cliffs. The world quaked and tsunamis ravished the shores as the gods fought each other in the Great War. When Zeus hurled his invincible lightning bolts, the earth resounded with roars of mighty thunder as blazing woods and scalding trees scorched the air. Finally, the Olympians bested the titans and hurled them into Tartarus imprisoning and locking them for all eternity in that dark and dismal land. They devised special punishments for the leaders of the war. Cronus was banished from his kingdom, forever deprived of the power he so prized. He is now represented as an old man, leaning on a scythe with an hourglass in his hand. The hourglass represents the vast fleeting moments of time, while the sign is emblematical of time, for time mows down all before it. The other titan, Atlas, was for his strength and size forced to forever bear the weight of the sky upon his shoulders. This war was called Titanomachy and was the deadliest ever fought by the gods. Thus, with their victory complete, Zeus and his brothers sat atop Mount Olympus 
and began to consider the division of the world amongst them. The three brothers drew lots for their kingdom, and Zeus became the ruler of the sky. Poseidon lorded over the seas, while Hades got command of the underworld. The supremacy of Zeus over all creation, however, was, and to this day, remains unchallenged. He holds his court every day atop Mount Olympus, whose summit extends beyond the clouds. And so it was that peace reigned supreme and creation went forth. Whenever war threatens Mount Olympus, all gods unite as one and fight off all evil that intend to harm them. It has been so since before the origin of man, and it will be so much after we all die. After the war, when peace reigned supreme, Zeus instructed the titan Prometheus, the one who fought alongside the Olympian gods, to create men. Prometheus shaped mankind out of mud and then instructed Athena, the daughter of Zeus, to birth life into this clay figure. This creation, however, was far from perfect. So Prometheus tasked Epimetheus, his brother, with giving the creatures of the earth all the various qualities that would be associated with them. Qualities such as swiftness, cunning, strength, wings, etc. And so, Epimetheus went about distributing these desired qualities to all creation upon earth. Unfortunately, by the time he reached mankind, there were no more qualities left to give. So Prometheus decided to make man stand upright as the gods did making the humans in the image of the gods. But this is also why humans are perhaps the weakest of all animals in physicality and strength. Humans cannot fly like the birds, nor live underwater like the fish. Humans are weaker than animals in strength and speed. Prometheus, however, falling in love with mankind, determined to elevate their minds and improve their existence. He taught mankind astronomy, mathematics, language and writing, medicine and magic. He created so many humans that the gods began to see a necessity of instituting laws to ensure their subservience. An assembly was therefore convened for the gods to establish laws for mankind. One of the laws put forth and accepted was the necessity of sacrifice to gods in return for favor and protection. It was decided that Prometheus, being the closest to mankind, would slay an ox and divide it to three pieces. Of these, the gods would choose the piece that they desired the most thus marking the peace that would forever be offered to the gods in sacrifice. The titan, blinded by his love for mankind, refused to let the gods have the best of the animal as sacrifice. He therefore 
sought to trick the gods. He divided the animal in such a way that one part consisted predominantly of bones, artfully concealed by fat, while the other parts contained the more edible and desired flesh. He then covered the three parts with the skin, and on top of them laid the stomach. The gods, thus deceived, chose the part that was predominantly bones. Zeus was angry at Poseidon's trickery. This is not a means for us to indulge ourselves, Titan, he thundered. This is a means for mankind to live in subservience to their gods and to know that favor and protection come at a price. Prometheus was warned unequivocally that another mistake would come at a heavy price. But the Titan was undeterred in his love for mankind. He then sought to provide his creation with fire, the one thing that was necessary for man's advancement. Zeus, however, was not in favor of granting such a blessing to man. Prometheus, resolved to brave Zeus's anger, surreptitiously obtained a spark of fire from the chariot of the sun. He then gave this spark to mankind, thus showing humanity how to create and use fire. Zeus was furious. In his anger, not only did he claim revenge against Prometheus, but also mankind. He commanded Hephaestus, the god of metallurgy and masonry, to mold a beautiful woman out of clay. Zeus was determined that through her, he would bring havoc into the race of mortal men. He then commanded the gods of his pantheon to bestow upon this woman the possession of charm and beauty. Hermes bestowed upon her a smooth and persuasive tongue. Aphrodite gave her beauty and taught the art of pleasing men. The graces made her fascinating. Finally, Athena gifted her femininity and breathed her to life. She was named Pandora, the All-Gifted. She received every attribute necessary to make her charming and irresistible. She was well endowed and beautifully formed, attired exquisitely by the graces, with a crown of flowers gifted by the seasons. She was then tasked by the gods to find her way to the house of Epimetheus. Now Epimetheus was warned by his brother Prometheus to be wary of any gifts by the Olympian gods. But he was so fascinated by this beautiful woman, so skilled in the art of persuasion and seduction, that he welcomed her to his house and made her his wife. Now in Epimetheus's possession was a jar of exquisite workmanship. This jar contained all the blessings reserved by the gods for mankind. Prometheus had explicitly forbidden Epimetheus of opening this jar, suggesting that by opening it, the blessings shall flee, leaving mankind with nothing but hatred, jealousy, dread and death. 
Pandora, however, managed to cajole and coax Epimetheus into giving her the jar. Unable to contain her curiosity, she decided to take just a little peek to see all the blessings that the gods had bestowed. But the moment she opened the lid, all the blessings which the gods had given to mankind took wing and flew away. However, all was not lost. Just as hope, which lay at the bottom of the jar, was about to escape, Pandora hastily managed to close the lid. And so it was, that while mankind lost all of the blessings given to them by the gods, and were left to fend for themselves in this dreary world, there was always hope, and through hope mankind would find a never-ending solace that would help him to bear with courage all the ills that assail him. Thus, having punished mankind, Zeus determined to exact revenge upon Prometheus. He chained the titan to a giant boulder atop Mount Caucasus and commanded an eagle to gnaw away his liver, which was torn to shreds every day only to be nurtured to whole at night, thus ready for fresh torment by the eagle the next day. For thirty years did Prometheus pay the price of offending Zeus. But at length Zeus relented, knowing that the titan only had good in his heart, and so permitted his son Hercules to kill the eagle and release the good titan. And so it was, that humans found themselves in a treacherous world, but full of hope. They found the world a difficult and dreary place, but were bestowed with all the gifts required to make beauty and create marvels. The Fates, the weavers of destiny, did decree, however, that humanity shall pass cyclically through five ages. ages that were characterized by events that marked their beginning and end. The first age is the Golden Age. In this age, mankind and gods live together in harmony and peace. There is an abundance of food provided by nature, and humans would not need to work. It is said that humans in this age will live a very long life, and when they would die, they shall pass away in happiness and harmony. The second is the Silver Age. It is believed that in this age men would live as children for a hundred years, supported by their mothers. As adults, humans would live a very short life, for they shall regularly clash with one another. Humanity would stop paying tribute to gods resulting in retribution that would mark the end of this age. Bronze Age is the third age. Men in this age would be tough, trained and warlike. They would create weapons and dwellings. They shall be in a state of continuous wars and shall destroy each other with infighting and vengeance. There shall be a great flood at the end of this era, much like the great flood of Deucalion.
The heroic age is deemed to be the fourth age of man. In this age, mankind, ravished by fighting and floods, would look again to gods to find solace. This would be the time that heroes and demigods would come to earth to aid mankind by fulfilling great quests. Such would be their deeds that songs of their praise shall be sung for centuries. The fifth age of man would be the Iron Age. This would be an age of destruction and desolation. Pain would be the rule of the world. Humanity would resume fighting each other and would only care for themselves. Because of a lack of shame and indignation, humanity would destroy itself, forsaken and abandoned by the gods. And so it would be that all mankind would inevitably and eventually destroy itself. When that time comes, the gods would come back to earth and start creation all over again, creating another cycle of the ages of man. That is the end of this episode on the ancient Greeks. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a feedback. We are quite active on Twitter and Instagram, so why not connect with us using the handle at StoriesTHTMDEUS for both Twitter and Instagram. You may also email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. I will see you again next week. Until then, goodbye.